right, let's go. Welcome to The Dad Presents, where we pledge allegiance only to family and principles. Guys, uh, before we start, I want to thank you for participating in this show and listening all the time. I don't say nice stuff often because, I don't, I don't know, I should. So I am. So thanks for listening. I, I, I'm, I'm really shocked at how much the show has grown in the last year alone and i think that's a lot because of the liberty message and a lot of people identify with that and value it and that that gives me a lot of hope and i really appreciate it you're all good people even the ladies you're good people too i mean i mean some dudes i know say that women should just stay in the kitchen and don't have the right to listen to podcasts or read or say things out loud when the men are talking but i disagree they're bad opinions ladies i think you're wonderful and thank you so much for listening. <laughs> See, even even when I try to say something nice, I ruin it. I'm sorry. That was a joke. I do love the ladies. I like the ladies more than the men. Men suck. So thank you, ladies. Um, and thank you for supporting the page on Facebook. Now, if, if, if you do support the page, you will have noticed that I was suspended for a week yet again. So I hope you missed me. I'm back. Um, look, guys, they're going to get rid of the dad presents real soon. It's inevitable. So please, please, please go to the dadpresents.com and get on our mailing list because because they're going to get rid of us and I want to be able to stay in touch and let you know where we're going. And if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, please click the like and subscribe buttons, review us, uh, mail us your firstborn child as a virgin sacrifice. Just do your part to help this show. Thank you. So in just a few minutes, we're going to be spreading love and liberty with the great author of The Creature from Jekyll Island. It's, it's just an absolutely amazing book about the creation of the Federal Reserve and how the, the banking industry just scams all of us. G. Edward Griffin. That'll be in just a few, but, but, but first, just a little Matty boy in your ear hole. All right? So listen, I'm, I'm super duper tired today, so if I'm slurring my speech, which I'm sure I am, it's because I work hard all week long, and now on the weekend, I have to drive my fourth grader an hour away to his all-day basketball tournaments every Saturday and Sunday at 7 a.m. in his private basketball league for the next year because California is batshit crazy. Well, Matt, it's your fault. Why do you do it? You don't have to do it. Why do you do it? You don't have to do it. I've heard that from several friends. Well, I do it. Because the boy is absolutely obsessed with basketball and I don't want to rob him of that passion because I'm a good dad. And sure, I'd like to have him play in a nice public school league, but guess what? There isn't one because kids can't touch each other at school or they will die. So yeah, in, 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 you know, if, if your kid is in a public school basketball league in California, when one kid tries to box out another kid for a rebound, Everybody on the team catches butt COVID and they all die. What's weird is that this doesn't happen to NBA players in California in the same city. I don't know why. I don't know. It's a mystery. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because they're too tall for the virus to climb all the way up to their face holes. I don't know. And, and another thing is weird is... You can drive an hour away at 7 a.m. before the sun is up, and then your kid can play all day long with the other kids, and nobody even gets a sniffle. It's a miraculous miracle. Miraculous. Or maybe it's not a miracle. I don't know. Because you know what? 
they require all the kids to wear face masks when they're playing. Face masks on their chins. So it's more of a chin mask. Mandatory chin masks. So those chin masks are probably the thing that protect the kids in the private basketball league an hour away from my house. So what I'm thinking is I should go to a school board meeting and just mandate that they mandate chin masks. Then the kids can safely box out without everyone in the school catching butt aids and dropping dead. So this, this league, right? This league we're in, it costs $260 a month, which is a lot. And then today when we show up, surprise fee, $45 admission fee to get in and watch the games. And another $45 tomorrow. And then another $45 next week on Saturday. And another $45 on Sunday after that. And on and on for the next 11 months. So basically this costs $1,000 a month. And today my son played less than two minutes. So everything is dumb and Gavin Newsom is the best and now I'm broke forever. Yay. I mean, seriously, look, we do well, but California is getting tough. And I'm I'm thinking, I'm thinking the dad needs to start moonlighting as a gigolo to make ends meet. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. So guys, please check in with your old lady friends and see if they're interested. I I have strong face muscles. I exercise every day, so my cardio's up, and I will wear what? Ever out of outfits satisfies their kink. Whatever it is. Dress me up like a baby, put me in a dress, lace, leather, whatever your fancy is. So anyway, email Matt at the dadpresents.com if, if if you're tired after work and your old lady needs a, a tune-up. I'm the man for the job. <sighs> it's the madness, guys. So what else is going on out here, right? As of today, today, right now, this is happening today, nurses and doctors and pilots and policemen and firemen are losing their jobs in Los Angeles for not getting the shot. I personally know four physical therapists and one nurse who are losing their jobs. And they're pretty upset about it. They're very upset about it. And look, I I looked to these people and I had only one thing to say to them. And it's just, Stop whining. Oh, did you lose your job? Are you going to be homeless? Are your children going to starve to death and have to scavenge for rats like the children in North Korea? Look, look, dude, you value body autonomy and think you should be able to decide what goes into it. You don't want to get the vaccine. Easy solution. Easy solution. All you need to do Leave the country, go to Panama or Peru or Bolivia. I don't care. Renounce your U.S. citizenship. Join a caravan in South America. Hike up through Mexico and into San Diego. Cross the border, find a border agent, get arrested, get released, get put on a bus to Chattanooga, Tallahassee or Kansas City or some other redneck town. They won't make you get the vaccine. And you get welfare and Medi-Cal and your children get a free education. Problem solved. Boom. We're problem solvers here at The Dad Presents. No need to whine, simple plan. So look, I didn't come up with this plan on my own, and I'm going to tell you about my buddy Steve. Steve is a male nurse. Steve was a male nurse. Yeah, like Ben Stiller and Meet the Falkers, right? Now, Steve refused to get vaccinated 
and he was pretty distraught about it. And even though he's a male nurse, he's not a weak-ass beta male quitter. Steve is a man of action. So he worked through it all, and now he's got it all figured out. Steve's wife, Sarah, now she was a stay-at-home mom because they had seven-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. Now in Los Angeles, extremely hard to live on one salary, especially a nurse's salary, feel me? So after Steve got fired, his whole family was destitute in inside of a day, inside of a few hours. So did Steve whine about it on social media like you probably are? No. Steve took to the streets with his family. He hitchhiked down the 405 from Los Angeles to San Diego with his twins, with his wife, into Mexico. In Mexico, they got an expatriation lawyer. Okay? Now, of course, because America has made a mess of the legal system and lawyers cost 40 quadrillion dollars an hour. The lawyers sucked them dry and they ran out of money really fast. Did Steve cry about that? No. Steve is a man of action. Like I said, Steve sent his wife to work. So she started performing donkey shows in Tijuana to keep the lawyer paid and the kids fed. Is it unfortunate? Yeah, a little bit. But she took one for the team to help her family. And I got to tell you, she put on a hell of a donkey show. Good job, Steve's wife, Sarah. Now, Yes, it's sad that she caught a rare form of donkey mouth herpes. But battle scars are what make people interesting. And I mean, yeah, the whole ordeal took a little longer than they expected. And yes, it's unfortunate that their seven-year-old boy joined MS-13. But I mean, you could see that kid was trouble even when he was six. So it was inevitable that he would join a murderous gang and sling dope for a living. This just expedited the whole thing. Yeah? Just sped up the inevitable. So anyway, they pay the lawyer. They're left with no money. And Steve's wife, Sarah, was fired from her job at the donkey show bar because the donkey face herpes horribly disfigured her face. And nobody wants a donkey show girl with a disfigured face. And that's unfortunate. Yes. But they still now needed money to pay the coyotes to sneak back into America as illegal immigrants. So what could they do? Well, fortunately, they still had a seven-year-old daughter and the coyotes accepted her into slavery as payment for the fee to cross. So it all worked out. It all worked out. Steve and his wife are back here now. They're living right now today in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Steve didn't need to get the shot. Steve didn't need a shot. He don't need no jab because now he's getting welfare and Medi-Cal down to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And the only thing he has to do in exchange for all these free awesome gifts, all he has to do is he promises to vote for Democrats forever and ever. Amen. This is the steal of the century, if you ask me. Does it suck that his wife is permanently disfigured? Yeah. Is it sad that his son joined MS-13 and they had to sell his daughter? Kinda. Is it rough that Steve caught some kind of rare parasite when he was desperate and dangerously dehydrated so he drank Mexican puddle water and now he has some kind of parasite in him that, that is making him go blind? Yeah, 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 that blows. But, I mean, 
I work in healthcare and I'm, I'm pretty sure that parasitic disease is river blindness. And fortunately for Steve, that's what ivermectin fixes. And I've got that in spades. So look, stop whining. Stop whining. Oh, meanie Biden is going to make me get the shot or I can't work for a living and feed my family. And we'll have to dig for grub worms in the backyard. Whoa. No, dude. No, you don't have to eat grub worms. You don't have to. Just do what Steve did. J-D-S-D. J-D-S-D. Just do. No, J-D-W-S-D. Just do what Steve did. Grow up. Mm Mm-hmm. What else? Superman's gay now. Did you see that? Superman. Mm Mm-hmm. The manliest, strongest man in the universe, when he's not saving the world from supervillains, what he likes to do is go to truck stop glory holes so he can stick his steel member in a stranger's butt. And they remade He-Man, and that was awesome. Because in the first 10 minutes, He-Man, the title character, and Skeletor, his nemesis, well, they kill each other. And the next nine episodes are about a bunch of lesbians. And that's awesome. Yay. Because He-Man, you see, He-Man, it says it in his name, He-Man, two manly pronouns. He-Man was a man and men are masculinity toxic. And also He-Man was a white man. And that's the worst kind of toxic men. And white men need to not be living. And they fixed it. Whatever. So, let's get into the show. Tomorrow's football day. Tomorrow is football day. Yay. Sunday, I can watch football without having to think about politics, without having it flood into my life. Oh, wait. Snap. No, you can't. All the players have their inspirational messages on their helmet to remind you of all the political things you've been pounded with all week. And this week, John Gruden, coach of the Raiders, he lost his job and he lost $70 million because he said the F word in an email a decade ago. And that's unforgivable. No, he didn't. No, he didn't say fuck. Not that F word. You can say fuck all you want. Fuck, 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 fuck. He said the F word that dudes call their buddies when their buddies are acting like pussies. That F word. So the Bucks, a team he used to work for who he won a Super Bowl with, they took him out of the ring of honor because he said this naughty forbidden word. And I, I totally get it. I mean, you, you can't do anything worse than say a naughty word in an email. I get it. Get rid of him. He's a bum. Gotta go. Meanwhile, the Bucks. They kept Warren Sapp, which is interesting. He's still in their ring of honor. That's interesting because he's been arrested for felony domestic abuse. And they also have two other domestic abusers on their roster, Richard Sherman and Antonio Brown. I think one of them's a rapist, I think. Okay. They're still on the roster. So, so the message I'm getting from the Bucks is loud and clear. You can punch a girl in the face. Just don't call her a faggot. The NFL, the NFL, they applauded the firing of the homophobic Gruden. And then because they're nothing if not consistent, 
they turned around and they hired Snoop Dogg, a murderer, and Eminem, somebody who's said that F word a few times, hired both of them, paid them gazillions of dollars to do the halftime show. Why? Why? Because everything is crazy and nothing makes sense. Yay. Look, I'm fine. I'm totally fine with them firing Gruden. I don't give a shit. I don't know that dude. Fuck that guy. I would just like to see a little equality under the rules. Remember equality? Remember when that was a thing? Remember that word equality? It's been completely erased from from history. Doesn't it doesn't apply anymore. It's now equity. And equity means everybody gets the same except cis white men. Anyway, I'd just like them to be consistent. Fire Gruden for saying a naughty word. I don't give a fuck. But then don't turn around and hire a murderer. You know, that's all. I mean, what I'm, what I'm beginning, the reals, every week I get on here and I start pointing out all these ridiculous, like, uh, contradictions. And I think I'm just wasting air. And I apologize to you guys for wasting air because I know air is a commodity and I know we're running out of air because all, all the trees are dying and global warming and it's all filled with COVID and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I apologize for wasting the air, but what, I am learning and why I will stop wasting air in the future is that there's one rule in America today. Is that rule that you can't murder? No, you can murder. You can murder. Black Lives Matter. They murdered a police cop. They murdered 28 people. You can murder. Is it that you can't rape? No, you can rape. You can rape and still play in the NFL. So what, what, is, what is the one rule? The rule is be a Democrat. Be a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, you don't have to wear a mask. Ask Rashida Tlaib. Ask Nancy Pelosi. Ask Joe Biden. Ask any if you're a Democrat. Don't wear a mask. Fuck that mask. You can get caught on video if you're a Democrat shooting people in the face in downtown Chicago on video. And you won't get arrested. If you're a Democrat, if you're a Democratic comedian, you can do blackface. You can do black face if you're a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, you can go burn down a city. You can murder a cop. You can do whatever you want as long as you vote for the right monkey every election. All right, let's get into the show. First, a word from our sponsors, a new sponsor, the Red Pill Expo, redpillexpo.com. Please check it out. Our guest is going to be appearing at the Red Pill Expo. Excuse that burp. The Red Pill Expo. This is this is an assembly of people speaking out for freedom. The fight is coming to our front doorstep, literally, and people are starting to fight. And I'm so proud of Americans standing up. Some Americans literally willing to give up their jobs to fight for freedom. What a bunch of savage heroes. So proud of some of my fellow Americans. So proud. This is a winnable fight, but it takes some fight. Red Pill Expo is going to be speakers from all over the country who have been standing up for liberty their whole life, speakers who who have been part of government conspiracies in the past, like MK Ultra, uh, people who have been human trafficked, uh, people who have um, 
been wrapped up in gangs. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. Check it out, redpillexpo.com. And our second sponsor, longtime sponsor, my favorite sponsor, the best underwear in the world, sheathunderwear.com. Check it out. Use code word dad for 20% off. Get yourself a dozen pair, one for two pair for every day of the week. And dudes, your ladies will love you. They, they just have that pouch. They pull it all together right in the front. If you got a little one, if you got a little one, you need to sheath. It it gives you some extra girth. And from what I understand, girth is more important than length. Didn't know that till I was a grown man, but that seems to be the case. Sheath underwear will show it off. Get you some. All right, guys, let's get into the show. All right, guys, uh, thanks for joining us today. We are here right now with G. Edward Griffin, uh, filmmaker, author, educator, his book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, for me, I got to put it on the Mount Rushmore of freedom literature, along with maybe Anatomy of the State, 1984, and Atlas Shrugged. So, uh, Mr. Griffin, it's, a, it's just a huge honor to have you on the show. How are you? I'm, well, I'm fine, and it's an honor to be on your show, too. And thank, <laughs> thanks for those kind words. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, I'm excited to have you. I'm really excited. Uh, I, I don't get excited about many guests, but I'm, I'm excited about this, and I have a lot of things I want to ask you, um, and I want to talk about the book and Red Pill University, and I, I'm not even sure what to, where to start, but I guess the first thing I should ask you is how screwed is our economy at this point, and is it even fixable? <laughs> well, let's see. I think the short answer is that it is uh, very uh, <laughs> And yes, it's, of course, everything is fixable, but uh, it just depends on how big a tool you have and how, how hard you're willing to work. It's, it's dire. Let's not kid ourselves or make light of it. Uh, what's happening now, I think, is, is, well, not think, I know, it's the first time in history something of this magnitude has happened globally. It's obviously, you know, people have been talking about this, this thing called the New World Order, Yes. which is the phrase that they chose to call it, not, not us critics. And you know, a lot of people didn't believe there was such a thing. Well, now it's pretty clear there is. When you get, when you get nations around the world to respond uh, exactly the same way, using the same uh, speech, the same words, uh, the, same, uh, you know, the same vocabulary, uh, lockdowns and, and, and vaccine uh, passports and all these things and mandates and all of these. And it's happening mm -hmm. the same way within a few hours all around the world. Yep. You know that the, this thing called the New World Order is already here. Mm -hmm. It's here. Yeah, and like you said, this is not some. This is not like a conspiracy theory term that uh, people invented. They they it's use their word. that term. It's their yes. phrase. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, and they don't hesitate to use it. Right. Let me ask you. Um, so the book, the creature from Jekyll Island, it was mind blowing. And what I learned from that is basically that the the Federal Reserve essentially just ensures that the wealthy will always be wealthy, and they're always going to steal uh -huh. from the rest of us, and that. Um, what I'm wondering is, it seems like this is pretty important history. It seems like understanding the history of the Federal Reserve is pretty important. It seems like understanding money is very important. Mm -hmm. Why are economics not part of the core curriculum in public school like math and English? They're just not. Well, it's a, it's a self-answering question, I think, because uh, what could the reason be? Could it, could it be that economics and money are not important? 
well, that's not it. <laughs> right. No, they're very important. Uh, is it because that uh, nobody knows anything about it? That's not it. Of course, there's, there are hundreds and hundreds of books written on these things, and uh, there's seminars and uh, and uh, and meetings and debates, and yeah, very important. Everybody knows about it. So why is it not taught? Well, it's because someone who determines what is taught in the schools has come to the decision that it is either a non-important topic or it's one that's so important that we shouldn't know anything about it. So through the process of elimination, you come to the really the unpleasant conclusion that it's because they don't want us to know anything about it. Exactly. Uh, they want us to think it's a great mystery, so we won't question anything. They want us to be ignorant so that we think that it's uh, it's being done by um, by people who are responsive to our will, by elected representatives who have our best interest in mind. They, they don't want us to know that the control of the money system and the is, is in the hands of the banks, and the banks mm -hmm. are private institutions. They don't want us to know that it's, uh, the government doesn't control the banks, but the banks control the government. And that's mm -hmm. something they do not want you or me and anybody else to know, because then it might uh, tick us off a little bit. And we might think, hey, wait a minute, that's not right. And we might want to change it. So, you know, and I'm not trying to be funny or make light of it, but that really is the hardcore answer. We don't know about it because they don't want us to know about it. Right, right. They don't want us to know about the creation of the Federal Reserve and, and, and all of its powers. And they don't, they don't even really want us to understand money and banking because oh, once sorry. you understand it, then your tendency is going to be to maybe get out of debt and be responsible with your money, and they, they need us to keep the machine going. Right? Yes, and, and beyond that, that, that certainly would be our first uh, tendency is to protect ourselves and get out of the pathway of the oncoming locomotive. But uh, it might even tempt a lot of people to say this system has got to be changed. So it, it goes beyond just self-protecting your family and your, your personal resources and deciding a, you want to protect your nation or maybe your, your community, your, your, the world. Maybe you started taking an interest about humanity and, and this isn't right. We've got to change this. That's yeah. what they really don't want. Yeah. And we could change it. Or so, you know, if we if understood how much it needed to be changed and we're willing to tackle the, the Goliath. Right. Uh, it is a Goliath and it's a powerful one. And it's getting and, bigger. Like they, we're 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 probably close to moving away from a Federal Reserve system to a world banking system, which would be even more disastrous. But before we get into all that and and get ahead of people, for those of you who for people out there who don't really understand the Federal Reserve or its creation or what it does, can you give like a, a concise one minute summary of the origin of the Federal Reserve and its powers? Yes, I've learned how to summarize this thing all the way down to you know, a half an hour or 20 minutes or 10 minutes or three minutes, uh, one minute. I can even get it down to three words, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a scam. Okay, we just covered it. <laughs> it's, it's possible right. to actually condense this topic down, but to get it to the point where it has some kind of meaning takes a little bit more than three words. But it's important to understand, I think I let the cat out of the bag a moment ago, that the Federal Reserve System is not a government agency. It's a it's a consortium or a cartel of banks, private banks. It's a cartel, no different than a banana cartel, an oil cartel. Happens to be a banking cartel. And these guys are very, very wealthy. I mean, when it comes to money, uh, they have no problem because they make the stuff. Now, 
in the old days, you couldn't just make money unless you dug it out of the ground and purified it and put it into a, a bar of metal or something like that or stamped somebody's face on it and, and yes. tested it. For, you know, you had money with coins, and that was pretty good money because it required human effort to create. So the supply was limited, and uh, you couldn't just create it by raising your hands. So another $100 billion today, that'll, that'll work. And then tomorrow, a trillion, you know, who... That gets you into trouble. So um, they have no idea that uh, you know what money really is, and uh, so the banks uh, uh, took over the the well in the name of regulating the banks. That's how it all started. When the when the banks started failing back in the last century, um, you know, in the nineteen hundreds and the eighteen hundreds, I should say, and it came to the to the nineteen ten which was the date of the meeting of, on Jekyll Island where mm -hmm. the heads of the major banking dynasties in the United States and with close connections with similar banking dynasties in Europe. Anyway, they had a secret meeting on Jekyll Island. And Jekyll Island is off the coast of Georgia. It's a real, real island. It has that mysterious sound to it because of the word Jekyll. People think of, you know, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sure. or something like that. Well, the, the real story is, is more sinister than the, than the novel. But uh, anyway, so they had the secret meeting, and, um, and they decided to uh, satisfy the public's desire for banking reform. The public wanted Congress to pass a law to control the banks because they were ripping people off. They were stealing their, their deposits. They were having bank runs, and the people couldn't cough up the money that they said they would... They promised to keep in the vault. Well, they didn't keep it in the vault and so forth. So the, the public was really, uh, had the knickers all wrinkled over that and they wanted reform. And so the banks, in their infinite wisdom, said to themselves, or act as, at this meeting on Jekyll Island, they said, look, there's going to be a bill passed in Congress to control banking. Mm -hmm. Now, what are we going to do about that? We're either going to sit here and wait and see what happens and see what kind of shackles they put on us, controls, or... We write the bill to control us and don't let anybody know that we're writing it. So we no. will write the, our banking reform bill. We'll call it a reform bill. They won't know we wrote it. We'll have somebody introduce it and make it sound like it came from Congress. But instead, they went to Jekyll Island and spent a, a week in private on this uh, beautiful, luxurious island, which was owned by uh, the wealthiest families in the world, uh, primarily on Wall Street. And... Uh, also industrial uh, people, and they, in private, drafted the cartel agreement between themselves. They've created a cartel, and uh, they took it back to Congress uh, at the end of that point, and they, if you can imagine taking a big eraser and erasing the words from the top of the paper that say cartel agreement, mm -hmm. and they wrote in Federal Reserve Act. Right. And they the submitted the it name itself is... is, is uh, devious because there's nothing federal about it. It's a no, private... And there are no reserves either. Yeah, I mean, no. there are some technically, but they're minimal. They're just they're minuscule. So yeah, but it's a fraud from the, from the get-go. And it was mainly to take the public demand for banking reform, turn it around like a jujitsu move, and throw the force back against the public that, that they would capture control of the whole system yeah, by pretending it's... to solve the problem. It, it's a brilliant tactic, it's... and it's, a, it's an amazing story.
it's maniacally evil and and brilliant it's like brilliant yeah mastermind villain stuff mm-hmm. really when when yeah. you look at it and yeah they wrote the regis- legislation and they've kind of been writing all of our legislation ever since yeah um so yeah part of the reason for the federal reserve is they can control uh the money printing but another one is that they can they can uh, make sure all the banks are on the same lending risk tolerance level, meaning the amount that they lend out compared to the amount of reserves they have. And if they're all at that same level, when one starts to fail, they all kind of start to fail. And then they can place the blame on the economy instead of themselves, and then they get a taxpayer bailout. So they do high-risk loans that make them rich. And when those inevitably inevitably begin to fail because they are high-risk, then we bail them out because they're too big to fail. So no matter what, whether the economy is good or bad, they get more rich and we get more poor. Yeah, that's a very good summary. Yes, uh-huh. that's exactly what happens. Yeah, and it's all done in the name of protecting us. You see, most people, even today, and, and there's a lot more understanding today than when I published the book. But uh, even most people today think that uh, Federal Reserve is a government agency. And there's a good reason for them to think that, because when they passed their cartel agreement into law, uh, then it became law, and if you don't abide by what they say, you go to prison. And the only uh, entity that can put you in prison is government. So it looks like it's the government doing it, and it is, in fact, the government putting you in prison or enforcing the cartel agreement. But it it wasn't drafted by government. It was imposed upon government by trickery and bribery. Right. And probably a little bit of blackmail thrown in. Yeah. And and they can't lose, right? So it seems to me, okay, so the economy goes belly up because of bad banking practices. Like we saw that in 2008. I think we saw that in the 80s as far as my lifetime goes. Well, the ba- the, the risky banking practices made them rich. Um, and then they, they decide to bail themselves out because they have control of the money printing. So they bail themselves out and they get this influx of currency, which makes, makes all their assets rise in value, but also makes goods and services cost more. That's what inflation does. Then because the majority of people out there are kind of living paycheck to paycheck and working for a living, the bad banking uh, practices and high cost of living leads to people losing their assets. And then the banks buy up those assets on the cheap with the money they just gave themselves. And then the whole thing recovers. And 10 years later, they sell them back to the people at higher rates once they've lowered the interest. So <laughs> it's a game yeah. that they mm-hmm. can't lose. I don't, I don't see how you can beat them. Can you? Well, yeah, you just take the tools away from them. And, just, and what, what do you mean? You take the well, tools away? Well, you just uh, you abolish the Federal Reserve. Okay. Yes, and, and that's doable. I mean, Congress How is that created doable? Congress created it. Congress has the power to uh, get rid of it. Now, but do they? Do they have the power to get rid of it? Because oh, yeah, they do. They can just uh, declare the uh, the uh, act null and void. They sure. created it. They technically, could. No. technically, they could. But aren't but, they all funded by the banks? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't doesn't make it easy, but it can be done. That's the path. Now, yeah, you're fighting against the, the most powerful money-making machine in history. Right. So let's not kid ourselves what we're up against. But it can be done if, if you can get the right people into Congress, if you can get, if you get enough of the right-thinking people mobilized 
and look at this as a obligation, a personal obligation to to uh, a crusade, let's call mm-hmm. it. I consider it a crusade to abolish the Federal Reserve System so we can so we can free up the future for our children and our grandchildren. We don't want them living in slavery any more than we want to live in slavery. And we're coming to that point now for the first time now. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to see it. And if we don't want that to continue, we have to abolish the Fed. We have the ability to do it if we could change the face of Congress. Can we do that? Yes. There are, some, there are certain things that are even more valuable than money. And that's okay. willpower. That's, that's passion. That's a desire for liberty. I mean, people will fight and risk their lives for money, but they'll fight and risk their lives much more so to defend their liberty. I think so. Some people. Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. think we're seeing that now. But I want to I raise a counterpoint. I want to kind of challenge that because, all right, so you're right. Right. So people people think their rulers are like Joe Biden or or the Clintons or whoever. And they're not. The president's not really the rulers. The rulers are J.P. Morgan Chase and the Rothschilds and Zuckerberg and Bezos, people who control things. Right. And and some people think you can just vote a different monkey in there and you get a different result. But I don't think that can happen because when you have let, let's say somebody like Ron Paul, he's the one guy who really got out there and challenged the Federal Reserve. He made it into like he w- he was picking up a lot of steam. He was very popular. He was getting massive rallies and his whole thing was the wars and the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. Well, they squashed him. They they didn't allow him in the debates. Mm-hmm. The media ignored him um, and they effectively just canceled him out. So you say get the right people in Congress. How how what does that look like? How do you make that happen when the whole apparatus is working against that happening. Yeah. Well, let me uh, touch the on the analogy. I think it was really good. You mentioned Ron Paul and there have been a few others that have stood out like that. Uh, like in any in any warfare, any any battle, there are the ones in the front usually are the casualties. They're the first to go down. They're the heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if if when they go down, there's another rank behind them. And when they go down, there's another rank behind them. The Scottish, you know, <laughs> learn how to play that game. They lost a lot of lives, but uh, Everybody feared the Scots because they just kept coming. The Turks had that reputation too. They just kept coming until you ran out of ammunition. And, you know, and, uh, this is war. You have casualties and some people are the first, but okay. you can, that doesn't mean you can't win a war. It means you have to be willing to pay the price. And it's not going to be easy, but it can be done. The only thing worse than, than being killed in a war for your liberty is Losing the war for your liberty yes. and living as a slave. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe some people would disagree with that. And I'm sure you would think twice about it when you're fixing a bayonet or a machine gun or something like that. But still, the principle is pretty sound. And uh, history shows that those who are fighting for their, their liberty and for their families and for their friends and have the highest motives are the fiercest fighters. And the the people who are doing it for wealth and power may have the advantage over the fact that they've got wealth and power, but they wish they had the passion that their opponents, meaning us, had. Because yeah. the, their, their minions will turn against them the minute it looks like they're going to lose. The rats will jump the ship. Yeah, well, I mean, a good example of that is the Revolutionary War, right? We we I had the passion and, and Britain mm-hmm. had the money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Maybe. And, and I hope people keep fighting. And, and you're making this comparison about liberty as it relates to the Federal Reserve. 
which I don't think most people real when they hear liberty, I don't think they think about it in that sense, financial liberty, but it's a very important aspect of liberty. Along the liberty lines, a lot of people today are waking up to the importance of liberty and freedom as it um, pertains to what's going on with COVID. But the two, as far as I can tell, the two tie in. The, the well, they're about, to, yeah, you're absolutely right. And they're about to find out how, how closely they're tied, uh, financial liberty. If they succeed in replacing our cash, our fiat money, and as bad as it is, at least you can stick it in, in a can or in your mattress or something and you can be fairly independent of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can pay for things or give, give dollars or something like that to your friends and say, Carry on, carry on. We're going to help you, but if if there is no money anymore like that, if it's all digital, mm-hmm. and of course that's where it's going. And you mentioned a little moment ago that you were you were aware of the fact that this the Federal Reserve is going to a different level, going to a different type of monetary system, and that's exactly where I'm going with this discussion. Is that what their plan is? Is to get rid of money as we have known it, and everything will be a digital currency, it'll be a central bank digital currency. Yeah. CB, uh, DC, or yeah, and they're all talking about that. All the all the mm-hmm. major countries of the world and several of the minor ones are preparing a digital currency to be controlled and issued by the central banks. And when that happens, you say, "Well, that'll be good. We can have digital currency." But you don't realize that when the other currency is gone and all you have is is digits issued by the central bank, which is the real power controllers behind the scene, um, if they don't like you for any reason. They just uh, reduce or eliminate your ability to to have any money. Yeah, I mean all of them. You don't you don't have dimes and quarters and anything. I mean, you can go to the black market, I suppose. That's where a lot of us will probably wind up if this succeeds. Mm-hmm. Um, by that, by the black market, I mean we'll be using old silver coins and things like that as a currency. Um, but that's not going to help you much when you want to when you want to get on an airplane or you want to go to the grocery store or you know you want to pay your rent. Uh, you want to pay your That's mortgage? Terrifying. Yeah. If, so you're talking about economic or monetary uh, tyranny. That's the highest form mm-hmm. because there's – how do you escape that? You can't fight that. Uh, no. So let me – yeah, let's go along that line. I want to ask you about that. Um, digital currency. Uh, I'm interested in what a guy like you thinks about this because there's – there's. first of all, you're right about cash. Like I, I operate only in cash, and there's a lot of places we can't go anymore because they won't take cash. Now, they say it's because of COVID, but that's just <laughs> nonsense. COVID isn't spread on money. Like This is coming from a higher place, and people are adopting this mindset, and we're, we're quickly becoming a cashless society. It, it is headed towards digital. Now, I've been involved with cryptocurrency since probably 2014, and, and I love it because I think it it can be financial freedom from government as far as the way I understand what digital currency is, cryptocurrency. But digital currency in the hands of the government can be a complete disaster. Do you make a distinction between uh, the cryptocurrencies that have been developed like Bitcoin and uh, the, the type of digital currency that government is going to create? Or do you think they're the same thing? Do you think government created Bitcoin? Like as some kind of long play. Like, what is your theory on all that? Well, I just skip over that one because I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical about who created uh, 
Bitcoin or the blockchain, uh, to be mm-hmm. more specific. I, I, I have a feeling it probably was uh, an agency like the NSA or something like that, or maybe a small little group within one of the agencies. But I, I can't prove that. It's probably not too important in the final picture anyway, whether they created it or whether they discovered it and said, hey, boys, we can use this. It's, it comes out the pipe the same way. Um, but yeah, there's a big difference between the uh, central bank digital currencies and uh, the cryptos, which crypto means, means it's secret, it's confidential. Right. And uh, the central bank current digital currencies are not going to be confidential at all. Uh, if you look at the, even even with um, like Bitcoin and Ethereum and others in the uh, in the crypto field, um, the transactions are totally transparent. Anybody yes. can look and see who who is buying what at what time. Was it three seconds after midnight or four seconds after True. midnight? You well, know? I, me, I want to correct that. They they're they're anonymous in that your name is not attached to it, but the government can now trace any wallet transaction to a person. So yeah. it was at one point yeah. uh, cryptic. It's not anymore. It's not anymore. And I, I, I'm just of the mental mindset that they, they knew it wouldn't always be that way. Uh, I mean, so it was probably you. I'm going to I'm going to be the, uh, the skeptic and say it was, it was probably sold to the uh, rebellion market like, you know, us. We we're rebelling against all this tyranny. And it was probably sold to people like us as a as a false idea that we could, oh, we could escape the banks and the government control. And so we just plunged into it. And of course, there was the added advantage of it being a highly speculative and potentially profitable move. Mm-hmm. If we could play the game and, and master the, the tools, you could make huge amounts of money overnight. And that was an attraction. And that drew a lot of people in. And they kept talking about, yeah, we're going to fight the government. But uh, they wouldn't have been there unless they thought they could make a hundred billion dollars, you know, in a week or something like that. That was really the main attraction, and it still is, by the way. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody for that because I like that idea too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I even bought some some cryptocurrencies, thinking, well, if this doesn't work out, uh, all right, I didn't lose too much. But if it does, hell, look at the pile of money I'm going to make. I can do something with that. I, yeah. It's not because I thought it was going to become a currency. I, I wished it could, but I didn't think it ever would uh, unless it was a controlled currency by the, the governments and the banks themselves. So I don't know. Those are kind of side issues. The, the main issue, yeah, there is a big difference between the two. And uh, and you can have privacy and isolation from the system if you, as you know, probably very much um, better than I probably, uh, that if you have a, a private uh, currency, uh, you could make one yourself, you know, you call it the love and liberty coin or something mm-hmm. like that, uh, and just have your own uh, users, your own uh, stakeholders. Uh, you could make pri- completely private transactions, and they, I don't know if they could even trace that. But the, once you once you get outside of that circle, and they Useless. can ap- they they can apply uh, you know artificial intelligence and look at uh, buying patterns and everything, they, they can identify you quickly just by looking at your purchasing patterns, if mm-hmm. uh, if no other way, and without even having yeah. a hard trail. So uh, I knew that a long time ago. So so they're 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 different, and. Um, in order for you to really use a digital currency in a meaningful way, I mean, to use it to, to buy the things that you need, your food and your travel and all that sort of thing, utilities, uh, you've got to go, you've got to come out of your little private chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might, you know, you and your brother and your friends across the street might exchange squash 
for corn or maybe some hours of labor and all that, but it, that's not going to be survival. And right. uh, so they've known that. And uh, so no matter how you cut it, you wind up with the fact that it's where it's headed is not a good place. No, no, it's... I, 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 to be honest, I don't like what you said. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. I've, uh, I have, I've been in, you're right. Most people invest in crypto because they want to get rich. That, mm-hmm. that is, that is the reason. And that, that's a lure and that could be a lure. Um, but I like it because of the, the potential for financial freedom. And if it, if it doesn't pan out that way, it's going to, break my heart to be quite honest yeah same with me but i'd like to interrupt there's a difference between you like you like something for a reason but the other thing is you buy something for a reason Mm -hmm. we could like crypto because it's going to give us financial security but not many people would be putting money into it uh, if they didn't think it would retain and grow yeah right you're right you're right even myself same yes you're right um i want to ask you about this so i i feel like after the ron paul um era People, people's eyes were opened, at least in the right direction. People were looking in the right direction. You had on the left, you had the Occupy Wall Street movement. They were off on a lot of marks, but at least they were pointing their finger at, at Wall Street. They could sniff out that something wasn't right. And on the right, you had the Tea Party movement. Both of these were focused in the right direction. But then not too long after that, Obama's president and identity politics just sprang up and became the whole deal. And and I have a theory that this didn't just kind of happen. I feel like the banks and government and media j- conspired to bring on identity politics to be like, you know, you know, like, hey guys, you're not really mad at us, are you? It's it's those homophobic homophobic rednecks in Appalachia. They're the cause of your problems. Or it's it's the Mexicans, you know, like they got us off the scent and fighting with each other, which we've been doing ever since. Mm-hmm. Do you think that just happened naturally, or do you think that was an intentional act by the banks? <laughs> well, there was an intentional act by somebody, and I think the banks uh, are at or very close to the power center, that is the heartbeat of this whole, let's call it what it is. It's a conspiracy, and uh, there may be there may be um, a, an occult element that's even higher than that. Maybe there's something that uh, holds them together that is more than just money. Maybe it's uh, spiritual or semi-spiritual or at least occult. And I don't really know the answer to that, but I see that there's a lot of evidence that points in that direction. But it's immaterial. The banks certainly are close enough to it that uh, the ones that are running the banks at the very top level, probably if there is an occult uh, overlord to it. They're in that. So, you know how that works. There's people that can be in two groups, but one in one, they're at the center of it. And, uh, and the other, they're, they look like they're just a, a member, you know. But anyway, um, yeah, sure, sure they knew about it. And, uh, of course they would do it, wouldn't you? If you and I were on the, the board of directors of, uh, Evil Inc., you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and our job was to, uh, fool the people and put them into bondage and take all of their property away from them and make them dependent on us and make them like it, make it, make them grateful to us because we're, we're supposedly saving them from some kind of a horrible disaster. Right. And so that's our, that's evil ink and we're on the board of directors. Wouldn't we use a tactic like that? Uh, if it worked for that goal? Yeah. Yeah. It would. Yeah. Yeah. 
and they they are in evil ink they might not call it that but that's that's what they are you used the word a couple times already con- conspiracy theory so i want to bring that up uh number one you've been dismissed as a conspiracy theorist even though your your book is heavily annotated um and and heavily researched right this word conspiracy theorist is it not true that this was developed a word that was developed by the cia to throw people off the scent well, I don't know if it's true or not. I've read that, and I, I believe it could be true. And we go back to the same analogy. If, if we were in charge of this operation, wouldn't we be looking for words and phrases and other means to, to uh, demonize our opposition? And we would. And I, I'm sure that it was invented by somebody who was very knowledgeable in word warfare. Um, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's less effective now than it was because people have heard it for so long that it's almost become like a joke, you know. Right. Uh, but it's, it's not there yet. It's not there yet. Uh, it used to be if you were in called some circles and a lot in more some circles. circles. Yeah, a lot more circles are saying, hey, let's, uh, let's have a conspiracy theory meeting tonight or something. Mm-hmm. And they joke about it. And once you get to that point, you know, the game is almost over. People realize that there are conspiracies out there now. Well, I mean, all all the word means is that a group of people got together to uh, plan and plot a common goal. That's what a conspiracy is. Yeah, well, you got two of the elements. There's one more element. Theory. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, two or more people get together to do something in secret. In secret. And that is generally considered to be illegal or unethical. Right. Okay. So those are the three elements. Right. And so you look at what's happening in the world, and they're all they all fit that category. Yeah. So they're, and, they're and, all conspiracies. And, right. And so many of them, so many conspiracy theories over time, twenty years later, they get admitted to. Like the government releases documents that prove, but they wait twenty or thirty years to let these documents out when nobody cares anymore. Like we got into. Uh, Vietnam or the Korean War and the Vietnam War, both because of conspiracies, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to shoot down planes uh, flying over into to Cuba to get us into war with Cuba. I mean, there's there, we've seen dozens of these throughout history. So it's not like these are coming out of left field. It's not like our government is not capable of these things. But let's get back. Uh, I might the- just comment on that before we go off of it. Okay. Uh, the biggest, the granddaddy up until now. Uh, of course, with COVID, but before that, I think the granddaddy w- wasn't even 9/11. It it was Pearl Harbor, and when you now the records are out, all the, all the major players are dead now. So we're not mm-hmm. worried about oh you you you're criticizing somebody I voted for, you know, and that it's hard to get people to open their minds when, right. when you're trying to make it sound like their mother and their father are criminals. You know, they they love these people. People don't like to admit to being wrong no, ever, so no. it, ha- it has to be long after. Yeah. So they're yeah. all dead, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then the history bubbles to the surface. Well, that's true of Pearl Harbor. Now we, now we see that they deliberately redacted all the documents that showed that uh, the Roosevelt administration did everything they could to, to make Pearl Harbor happen. They antagonized the Japanese continuously. They cut off oil supply to the Japanese in their war. Uh, they insulted them. And they understood that the Japanese culture, you, know, you, just, you, don't not, you do not suffer an insult. You're honor bound to, uh, to respond to somebody who, you know, to insult you. And they, they just, 
they knew that the Japanese would make a military strike. Yes. And then, oh, anyway, the documents are all there. You probably know it. And your listeners probably know it. But to me, some of the interesting highlights of that is that they, they knew the minute the Japanese, um, uh, flotilla, the, uh, the, the, yeah, the flotilla, the, the fleet, the, all the warships left their base. They, that was telegraphed back to, uh, Washington, D.C. Okay, they're finally on the move now and they're heading out toward Pearl Harbor. And they knew they were going to come to Pearl Harbor. And then they had, uh, it's been so long since I looked at these facts. I think, I can't remember the name of it, but there was a code name that, that went into operation and the U.S. Navy cleared out the path, the path that the, the Japanese were going to take the direct path from where they left the Japanese islands to Pearl Harbor. They, they patrolled that path and made sure there were no commercial ships, fishing ships or anything like that. Freighters were in that area because they didn't want some freighter going along and seeing all the, the Japanese Navy sure. coming through, getting on right. the radio and saying, Hey guys, there's something going down over here. And they didn't <laughs> want that. So they cleared, they did everything they could to make sure that the Japanese attack was successful. To the extent that they denied this information to their military leaders on Pearl Harbor, they, they were they were sitting ducks, uh, you know. Anyway, yeah. it, but now yeah. that's all out. It's all in the record now. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. yep. You can anybody can go look it up and read. Nobody cares to because it's it's ancient. But yeah, so when you say it was a conspiracy, they didn't plan Pearl, Pearl Harbor, but they needed an event to happen to get us into war, right? And that's been the case. For every war we fought, including the most recent ones, you know, 9-11 happens. Oh, we're, we can use this to go to war. They have weapons of mass destruction. Wise, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they use events. They help those events. Maybe they allow them to happen. They have mm-hmm. the information that they might happen. And they let them happen because they want to get into war. Why? Because there's a lot of money in war. Well, um, yeah, and and geographic goals as well, and power plays, and they're all a lot of them are working toward this new world order that they like to call it, and they knew that wars are the best, one of the best ways to shake the old water up, order up. You can redesign things, and you can scare people, and and they forget about their heritage when they're trying to survive some kind of a war, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. So so back on on the Federal Reserve. So let's let's go back to before it started. I, I read in your book that before the Federal Reserve, banking was massively growing all over the country. We had twenty something like twenty thousand independent banks nationwide, which blows my mind. Like I don't know how many citizens we had in America back then, but it couldn't even been half of what we have now. So I'm wondering. So obviously the Federal Reserve caused a consolidation of money and power with the banking system. How many banks do we have today? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I wouldn't even pretend to answer, but I would, I'm just going to guess it's probably less than a couple hundred. Yeah. Wow. But that's, but that's it, it could be a thousand. I don't know. You run into local banks everywhere you go. So maybe it's more than that, but it certainly is not 20,000 banks. Right. And, and, and besides that, even, even if there were 20,000 banks today, they'd all be bound by the Federal Reserve. They'd be following their rules. So there would be no competition between them. Right. So, they what about like have, credit unions? Are they they're still not independent of the Federal Reserve in any way? Well, they are independent, except that's where they get their money. They have to okay. use the Fed's money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yep. Valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you talk about the bank's desire to make money elastic, um, so people stop saving money and borrow more instead because they make their money from 
they, they make their money when people borrow money and the interest on that. And then they make more money through inflation by printing currency, et cetera, et cetera. But can you explain to the people what elastic money means? Well, elastic money or flexible money supply, there are different t- terms for it. It merely means that the, the amount of money that exists is not based on anything tangible. Uh, it's not based on an asset. That's all it means. It means that some, some entity, whether it's a bank or government, uh, is given the legal authority to create money out of something other than a physical asset. And that something other could be uh, credit. It's usually credit. Either you, you go to the bank and you say, look, I want to borrow some money. Well, you don't know that the bank doesn't have any money to lend. Right. Uh, but they won't tell you that. So they say, well, what are you going to put up as collateral? And say, well, I'll put up my uh, my car. Okay, let's, what's your car worth? Well, let's see, on the open market, my car is worth $5,000. Oh, they say, well, we'll, we'll loan you for We'll loan you $4,000 on that car if you sign it over to us as collateral. So if you don't pay the loan, well, then we get the car. It's a pretty good deal. And uh, because, and, and then, then the bank simply writes you a check or puts some numbers in your checking account. It's, they didn't have that money before. People don't realize that the banks didn't have that money to loan. They create it in the form of a loan, and the Federal Reserve Act makes that, that unethical transaction legal. So they can do it, and they can start charging interest on money, which they just created. And if you don't pay that interest and pay back the, the capital, they get your car. So you, <laughs> right. they, have nothing, they have nothing in the game, but very little. And of course, they have their operation and their overhead, but nothing tangible, in the, no skin in the game. And, but if, and they can only win the game, because mm-hmm. if you don't pay, they get your car. And if you do pay, they get your interest. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting business model, I'll say that. Yeah, and if enough people don't pay and the bank starts to fail or because they lend out something like something absurd like 50 to 1 of what they have in reserve, once they get in trouble, they get bailed out. And doesn't that originate from – we got – you said the money is backed by nothing. It comes from nothing. There was a point in time in this history where every dollar was backed by gold. Um and we got away from that. How did we get away from that? The Federal Reserve System is how we got away from that. Now, it's true what you just said, but for a long time, it wasn't 100% backed. It started off 100% backed by bullion. And even before the Federal Reserve System, even the most conservative banks already had wandered away from 100% backing. We got into you know flexible flexible reserves or that kind of thing. And, and, mm-hmm. and uh, so... Uh, I've forgotten what the ratio was at the time of the Fed, but it was um, not 100% backing. But over the years, you know, with the passage of time and and more need for more money and more money and more money, that ratio, that reserve ratio, uh, has been cut lower and lower till today, of course. Uh, it's absolutely zero. So they can create money out of nothing, and that's not quite true. It's worse than nothing, and they create it out of debt. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't come into being until somebody borrows it. Now, right. they could just create it. I think what, what they're going into now, of course, this new system, you know, this uh, going direct, so to speak, is what they're calling it. The, the banking system of the near future, and I mean in the, the next year or two, is uh, they won't even need debt. They'll, they can just create it. And so this is, it's gone bananas, I'm telling you. 
but it, the outcome is still the same as money mm -hmm. flooding into the into the economy and it's probably not going to make an awful lot of difference except that there be no other kind of money other than this and that's where we're back to what I said before if you're not if you're not a good boy or girl and they don't like what you're doing they cut you off of all economic transactions right and you right. will starve or be on the street begging for money yeah a lot of people like this i mean we didn't vote on it but we're already going down a path of UBI, universal basic income. I mean, I just had money show up in my account that I wasn't even aware I was getting. Um, half the country's on unemployment. And a lot of people think this is good, the government giving them money. They <laughs> yeah. don't understand the position, number one, it puts them in, that they are now dependent on that. And number two, they don't they don't see what it's doing to the value of of our money. All the money you have becomes less valuable. You go to the grocery store, prices are skyrocketing. It's because they're just flooding the market with money and it's getting very scary and, and we're running out of time. So let me just ask you one more thing. I feel like we were in the last year and a half because of COVID, we've transitioned very quickly into an authoritarian society that feels like it's possibly on the the brink of collapse. It, it, it feels like we could be headed to some kind of like scientific... Uh, post-apocalyptic nightmare like that's not out of question at this point what steps can individual americans do to to fight back and protect themselves well i'm glad you asked that question because i think there are two parts to that the first part is so obvious almost any school child could figure it out you know if you're standing on the railroad track and you see a, a locomotive coming down uh, what do you do? Question, how, what do you do? Well, you get off of the bloody track, okay? So the first part is easy. We have to protect ourselves from the oncoming catastrophe, the dystopia that's obviously coming up at some level. And I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be quite, quite a, a deep level. So we get off the track. And what does that mean? That means we have to, we have to have assets outside of the monetary system. We have to have physical assets. I would not hang on to any more cash or U.S. dollars than I would have to do to live because those are going to either become worthless very fast because of inflation or they'll, they'll just be canceled out. Okay, okay so worth, what, do you, what do you put yeah. it in? So you put it in anything that has intrinsic value. Uh, gold and silver is the obvious one. That's always been uh, useful over history. And it's the easiest one for most people because you don't have to know much about it except how much does it cost and how much do you, can you afford and what are you going to use it to swap it for. It's an ideal thing. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the poor man's asset, you know. And uh, But there are other things. I mean, you could have, I've always joked about it, but it's not necessarily a joke. How about a warehouse full of cheap white wine? You know, when things go bad, people always drink a lot of wine and mm -hmm. booze of all kinds, and they'll they'll um, they'll exchange something for your bottle of cheap white wine. Uh, how about a, a warehouse full of tires? You know, if you got a warehouse, you know something about tires. People are going to need tires. Mm -hmm. Well, if they have cars, but there's always be a demand for tires, and tires will be short. So if you've got a warehouse full of new tires of different sizes, you've got money. You know, gotcha. So. Tradable commodities. Commodities, what, yeah. yes. And okay. of course, your skill sets, too. You have to be mm -hmm. able to do something that people want. You can't be like me, a writer. I mean, when people are hungry, they don't care if you can write or not. They want <laughs> some food. <laughs> well, I, th I think we need people like you. I, I, I think you're very important. So I'm going to disagree with that. Yeah, but, but yeah, wait, wait till everybody's hungry. And I think you'll find it's not, nobody cares about what right. kind of a writer you are. Right, so right. that's it. So the, that's the easy part. But the hard part now is beyond that, we have to do something more than just get off the track. We have to do something about stopping the locomotive. 
because otherwise we'll be just be running down the track to stay ahead of the locomotive or trying to get off. And it, it, there's no end to that. If we want to build a system for our children and our grandchildren, we've got to stop the locomotive and turn it around or get it off the rails and return to a more sane system. That means we have to think in terms of positive action, recapturing control of the system, you know, uh, making a change, getting these, these, uh, getting evil ink out of the business, replace the people. With, so is that uh, is that through elections? Is that well, through, it is uh, through elections? Yes, but it doesn't start there. It starts with an awakening of the sleeping giant. I mean, the the voters, the people. Mm-hmm. Right now, the voters they get mad as heck, uh, but they won't know who to vote for. They'll vote for yeah. somebody that just talks a good line and be the same as before because they don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So it starts at the educational level. It starts at what you and I are doing right here. People, more important people, have to understand what the issues really are. Then there's some hope of replacing the figureheads in government with others who really have no axe to grind except liberty. Otherwise, we're just going to replace one set of crooks with another one. Yes. Yep. It, a- absolutely. That's, and we have to do that. One set of, one set of puppets for mm-hmm. the crooks with another yeah. set of puppets for those yeah. crooks. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I great honor to talk to you i really appreciate it where can people uh find you uh what do you want to direct them to oh well, the thank out? you for that yeah I, my staff would be mad at me if i didn't mention that <laughs> i usually forget it but the big thing right now of course we're working for red pill expo which is an event we're going to put on on november mm-hmm. 6 and 7 in lafayette louisiana yeah and of course we know not everybody can go cross country to lafayette but we have a live stream as well and uh, I, I don't want to say too much to take too much time about it, but the Red Pill Expo is our major event. This will be number seven now, and it'll be the third one during this COVID theater. And mm-hmm. that in itself, I think, is quite an accomplishment. Sure. And people are coming from all over the country to go. And we're driving. I'm driving from California to Louisiana. I'm planning to see the U.S. down along Highway oh, 10 great. from the ground for a change, you know, in the old-fashioned way. So we're going to... We scheduled a couple of extra days for driving and sightseeing, and we're going to have a little party along the way. And that's how people are coming. They're saying, to hell with the airlines. These people, they'll do whatever they're told to do. You, you talk about puppets. You know, yep. They are. And so when the puppet master says, uh, you want the, you've, got, you've got to um, make sure everybody's got a vaccination or so, they will do it. They will yep. do it. Yep. They'll balk at it, but they'll do it because the government said, well, if you don't do it, we'll take away all of your your benefits, all the money we keep sending you. They will do it. So Yep. And yeah, what I'm what I'm learning is that people don't fight back until they're not comfortable anymore. So these airline executives, yeah, they're comfortable. They're not going to fight back. Why would they? Um, the Red Pill Expo is, is, is a is a great thing. I'm having a couple more guests uh, coming on the show from it. I encourage all the listeners to check it out. Go if you can. Uh, we need more people on the on the road to fighting for freedom. So thank you. Yes, for your, your and, time. The, and the first step is to understand what the battle really is. We, there are so many illusions out there, and that's the whole significance of the red pill meme. 
you know, take the red pill, wake up, snap out of the illusion, see life the way it really is. And we're talking about not just banking or not just COVID. You'll see when you go to the website that there there are people, there's one lady there that came out of MKUltra, the CIA program. She escaped. Yeah. Her story is dynamite. Yeah. You talk about government conspiracies. There's there's one that's heavily documented. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be talking about the economy and, and COVID, of course, but a lot of other things, too. And uh, so these these illusions are all around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we want to be, we'd like to call ourselves truth seekers, that means we have to seek truth. We have to get up off of our um, couches and, uh, and go someplace and go out where the public is, go out where people live and work. So that's it. That's our pitch. I hope to see everybody at Red Pill Expo. And the, uh, the website is redpillexpo.org. Awesome. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye.